Praise God. I'm so thankful for the good reports that are coming. Brother Lang is uh, currently serving as our regional field supervisor in uh, that region, and God is doing some great and incredible things. We've certainly been joining in prayer with the snows for this situation as it is. Um, I hear from him on a weekly basis, and he was very concerned about some of those things. Of course, I would be too if I was living there. But I want to tell you that the issue is when we are out of sight, out of mind people. We've got to live with the mission on our mind. Amen. We've got to live with it on our mind every day. We're really spoiled rotten as Americans. Amen. I'm feeding back on the platform a little bit if you can help me. God is, uh, God's been dealing with me tonight over the last few weeks, and I'm going to do my best to, uh, to somehow get to you what I feel in my heart has been um, somewhat overwhelming. Now, I know what I risk tonight by teaching what I'm getting ready to teach. It's not, um, it's not goofy, and to be quite honest, it's not super cutting edge. But it's something that I feel like the 21st century church is going to have to work through if we're going to see the end time revival that we need to see. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I just want to preface as you're turning in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4. Um, and you can remain seated because we're going to work through a couple of things. Uh, I don't know how preachy I'm going to be tonight. But I, I, I feel like there is a spirit that moves across our movement right now that I'm, I'm not quite bold enough to call it anti-Semitic. But it, it's, certainly a, it's certainly a strange spirit. Paul was dealing with it in a different way in the, uh, in the New Testament when he was writing, um, when he was dealing with the conversion of the Gentile, whether it be of the flesh or of the heart, and it, it took some time to deal with, the Apostle Peter kind of bantered back and forth a couple of things about it as well, and there were some issues that had to be dealt with because by Acts 10, when the Gentile conversion happened with Cornelius, I want you folks to understand that there was no such thing as denomination, separation, uh, a Sunday meeting Gentile church and a Saturday meeting Jewish synagogue. When the truth came to the Gentiles, which was the will and plan of God, and we'll talk about that from the Old Testament even. Um, there was no separation in Judaism and Christianity other than the fact that the Christians embraced Jesus as Messiah. They still believed in the one true living God. 
these, these first generation Jewish Pentecostal people did not convert their lifestyle from what they were. They continued to be Jewish people. And that was the struggle between them and the Gentiles when the Gentiles were saved because the Jews thought the Gentiles should be converted to Judaism if they were going to be converted to Christianity. And ultimately, and I, I'm, I'm trying to keep you from drinking from a water hose tonight, from a, from a fire hose, but we're going to get where we need to go. Ultimately, what happened is satanic forces through Constantine and Rome drove a wedge of division between the Gentile church and the Jewish church. There was no them and us. It was we, the body of Christ. And when that division came, there was a reason. And we're going to discuss this further tonight as to the role that the Gentile church plays in end time revival with the Jewish people and with Israel tonight. We're going to talk about end time revival in Israel. And I'm probably the least qualified person in this room to teach this, but I'm telling you it's on my heart. When I read the articles and... The posts on social media that some of our apostolic people put out, um, even so much as Pentecostal people celebrating Reformation Day. Um, church family, listen to pastor. We are not Protestants. We're not Protestants. We are not Catholics. We are apostolic. We are one God, Jesus' name, apostolic. We are not part of subdivisions of that ideology. We are not part of an orphaned church. We are not part... Oh, Lord. If they do not baptize in the name of Jesus, they are an orphaned child of the Catholic orthodoxy. It's important to me that we maintain our identity in this ecumenical world. That we don't just blend in and blur every line with everybody else so that we can all go along to get along. I'm going to tell you something tonight. It is important that we know where we came from if we want to go where we want to go. Woo! I just felt a strong angel come in here tonight. I think the Lord's going to help us. The early church, and this has bothered me all my life. Walked in a level of resurrection power and demonstration like I've never seen in my lifetime. Yet Jesus, who by the way was our Jewish Messiah, don't forget that, said that we would do greater works than he did. Anybody this week seen blind eyes come open? Anybody this week seen deaf ear? Anybody seen the lame walk? Dumb talk. Anybody? Anybody walk past the bed of a sick person in the mere passing of the shadow of, of yourself? They got up out of the bed and walked. Anybody see that this week? Well, Pastor, that's, that's because there was something different about the first century. I agree. And we're going to talk about it tonight. What was the secret? And why aren't we seeing it? And a brief synopsis of that tonight, I believe, 
it's a 2,000-year-old, almost, not quite, 2,000-year-old problem. And about 324 to 25 years in to the church age, there were some divisions that came, and the Council of Nicaea was a byproduct of the divisions that were already there. But, but I, I want this to be crystal clear to you tonight, that for the first 300 years, thereabout approximately, Every single person that was baptized into the body of Christ was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sin. And if they claimed to have the Holy Ghost, they spake with other tongues when they received the Holy Ghost. And the rest of that story is it did not stop because Rome, quote unquote, conquered Jerusalem. We didn't disappear off of history's map for 2,000 years and then just show up again at Azusa Street and, and become what we are right now. I'll take a step further and tell you, this church that you're sitting in tonight is not a byproduct of Topeka or Azusa Street. There was not one single person at Azusa Street baptized in Jesus' name. There was one man that left the Azusa Street revival in Los Angeles, California, and came to Indianapolis and met Bishop Haywood that was baptized in Jesus' name. And there it began. But nobody in Topeka, nobody in Azusa were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sin. It was the beginning of movements as we have right now that want a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They spoke with other tongues but they did not receive the name. And the name is the most important part in the factor. How can you claim to have the spirit of a man that you're not willing to take his name? It is not the spirit as being the third person of the Trinity that dwells in me, but rather it is the spirit of Christ that dwells in me, the hope of glory. Woo, God, I feel him here. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are receiving literally the prophetic utterance of Jesus in John 14 that he would not leave us comfortless, but that he would come again unto us. He said, I will come again unto you. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are receiving Jesus. That's the only way to receive him as your personal Savior. Amen. So we're in the book of Malachi chapter 4. I, again, I, I understand what I risk and that people are going to say I'm an, I'm an isolationist and and that's okay, because if that's what you have to call me, call me whatever you want to. But let me borrow the words of Kenny Henson. When he calls me, just call me gone. I want to be a part of the true church. Amen. Amen. Malachi chapter 4, if you would. And as you turn there, just say amen when you find it. felt like the Lord dealt with me this week in this chapter like I've never seen before. I've always tried to figure this out in a natural sense, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I even compared this to Paul's admonishment to Timothy. As we, as we get into verse 6, it talks about turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and vice versa. And I knew that when perilous times came that there would be truce breakers and that children would turn against their parents, but it just never quite resonated Right with me that that's what Elijah was prophesying. So let's look at it. Or that Malachi was prophesying. He said, behold, I send you Elijah. Somebody say Elijah. Elijah. 
This is the closing of the Old Testament. This is it. After this is 400 years of nothing. Malachi said of the Lord, Behold, I send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he, who? Elijah. Shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the uh, earth with a curse. So let's just... Stay right here for a minute tonight. I'm going to go as quickly as I can without losing you, okay? Everybody going to stay on with Pastor tonight? You going to help me? Behold, I send Elijah to you. Folks, Elijah disappeared a long time before Malachi prophesied this. Talking about hundreds of years. He's gone. Elisha was there to witness that. He watched him ascend into the heavens. Elijah was gone. So let's look at this in a spiritual way. The next time we see Elijah after he ascends into the heavens is on the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples were so blown away when they saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus, they said, oh, let's build three tabernacles. Jesus said, not so quickly. And he blinded them very quickly. And then when they opened their eyes, guess what they saw? Jesus only. That's why I'm a Jesus only preacher. Because Jesus only is Jesus enough. (laughs) going to send I'm going to send Elijah to you and Elijah is going to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to their children this just didn't make sense to me he said lest I smite the earth with a curse so I started looking at what would make God curse a nation or curse the earth or curse something and it all of a sudden just started clicking with me I'll bless them that bless you I will curse them that curse you. So let's begin tonight with an understanding that this is a spiritual prophecy. I want to begin by telling you that the Jewish people are the spiritual fathers of our faith. Romans 4 and 1 said, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? We as Goyim, we as Gentiles are connected to the vine. The vine is connected to the root. Abraham is the father of the Gentile church. And we are blood relatives through the blood of Calvary. But we as Gentiles are the children and offspring, if you would, of our father Abraham. So think about it in this matter. Was Malachi really prophesying that Elijah was going to come back into the earth and that fathers and sons would be reunited or God would smite the earth? Think about this. Why would God predicate his judgment on whether or not filthy men and filthy sons reconnected their hearts to one another? I believe it's deeper than that. I believe what the Lord was saying is that before the coming of the Lord, there was going to be a release of a Elijah prophetic ministry what about Elijah Elijah was a prophet that called it as it was he was a prophet that kills Jezebel spirits he was a prophet that identified perversion in the kingdom oh Lord and when he identified perversion in the kingdom that was conquered he was a man 
that identified false prophets. And not only identified those false prophets, but destroyed those false prophets by calling on the one true God of Israel. I believe what he was saying is that I'm going to release a prophetic spirit in the earth that's going to call false, false, and real, real. It's, it's not going to be enticed by Jezebel spirits and allow adultery and fornication and homosexuality and effeminate men to be released in the body of Christ and in their platforms and on their choirs, and you don't want to hear what I'm saying right now. I, I, know, I know we're online, but I want to tell you something, folks. We talk a whole lot about gay marriage, but I've got a bigger problem with men prissing around to pianos on platforms This is a sacred place. And an Elijah spirit said, we're not going to put up with the perverted spirit of Jezebel in my age. Listen, before Elijah ascended into the heavens, he made sure that the kingdom was clear of Jezebel. You know what I believe is going to precede the coming of the Lord? A prophetic voice that will still call sin, sin, and righteousness, righteousness, and will not be ashamed of it. How do you believe, Pastor, that that precedes the coming of the Lord? Because if you read, and I'm hurrying, I know it's the, it's the fire hose thing, but stay with me. John Baptist was said to have the anointing of Elijah on him. And when John Baptist came out of the wilderness, he was preaching one thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, before Jesus can release a kingdom in the earth, I've got to release a spirit of repentance in the hearts of the people. You know what's going to precede the coming of the Lord? An Elijah spirit, a John Baptist spirit that calls us to repentance, that we are not satisfied to stay in our sin, but to come out of sin. Okay, stay stay with me. We're going to kind of run some circles tonight. Don't let me lose you. If I do, just buy the CD. The spirit of Elijah is going to be released in the earth. The hearts of fathers... Reconnected to sons and sons to the fathers, lest I smite the earth with a curse. I'll tell you what I believe this is. I believe in the first century church that God connected the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jew first. The gospel was preached into the Gentile. That there was division caused by Rome that separated the Gentile church and the Jewish church. In other words, it separated the father from his son. And so because of that, some people have bought into what we call replacement theology. And I'm sorry, it's false. Jesus did not purchase the Gentile church to replace the Jewish church. If you believe that, then you believe there's going to be two tables at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't believe there's going to be two tables. I believe there's going to be one table. And I believe that I'm going to sit down by John. Oh, you ain't hearing me. I believe that as a Goyim, as a Gentile, that you're going to sit down with Abraham. You're going to sit down with Isaac. You're going to sit down with Rachel. You're going to sit down with Leah. I believe that we're going to sit down with John Baptist. And I believe that John Baptist is going to realize that the kingdom of God that he prophesied by the spirit of Elijah has come to pass through the Gentile church. What I believe is that God 
is going to reveal, oh Lord Jesus, here I go stepping out on, on my limb. I believe that God is going to reveal in this final day the perversion of the Jezebel spirit of Rome that has been released in the body of Christ. And when the Jewish people see that we as the apostolic church are not part of the Reformation, we are part of the body, and we believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We believe in the one God of the Old Testament, Jehovah God. Oh, my. They're going to see that we are not a part of a great whore. They're going to see that we are not part of a perverted gospel. Can I tell you one of the greatest times of my life was when I sat down with a precious Jewish family and we began to talk back and forth and they said, oh, you don't believe in three gods. I said, no, we believe in one God, Hashem. We believe in the one true living God. And I began to quote to them the Shema. And they looked at me and said, what? You don't believe that? They said, we just assumed you all believe the same way. I said, sweetheart, you assumed wrong because we believe, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Do you know what I believe is going to turn the hearts of the Father, the Jewish people, back to the heart of their son, the Gentile church? It's going to be when they see it was Rome and false doctrine that divided us, and God is going to bring us back together again in the end time. I know, I know, I know that there is a spirit that's trying its best, and I, I, I don't, I don't. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I don't understand why in the world we're so afraid to be connected to our roots. It's like if we say for some reason that we're connected to Jerusalem, then, then all of a sudden all of us Gentiles are going to have to stop eating bacon and we're all going to have to walk around with a kippah on our head and we're all, we're all going to have to wear a talit gadol and, and have zit zit hanging out of our pockets. It's unbelievable to me. That when people when people look at me and, and we have this discussion and they're like, well, you're going to start wearing a prayer shawl everywhere you go next? Well, I can't say that I see a problem with it, especially when they'll fight with you over, oh, Lord, never mind. Blows my mind. That they'll get ticked off at you for not laying out Easter eggs. But don't you dare celebrate Passover. Let, let, me, just be, let me just be clear about this. And I, I'm not going to stay here. I don't have time. The feast of the, of, of the Jews as we call them. They, the Bible does not say they were the feast of the Jews. It said they are the feast of the Lord. And if you want to understand God's timetable, you need to take a look at the feast. I've preached on it and talked about it till, till I'm blue in the mouth. But there's some things that we need to understand. Listen, ju- just, just listen to me. You want to keep your eyes real, real close in the end time church on the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Trumpets. If I were you, I'd just keep my eyes peeled for what God's going to do during the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Trumpets. But the Gentile church was cut off from her Jewish roots in in 325 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea. And ever since we were cut off, and some would disagree with me, but there has been a disconnect of power and visitation. I believe that's the key that we're missing. There's been a disconnect of true resurrection power 
functioning in the church like it did in the first century. There's, there's, there's some kind of difference. I don't want to go as far to say as that we were that the spirit of God or the, the, the resurrection power was completely lifted, but folks, I, I believe it's been diminished quite a bit. And it's why it's so important for this Elijah spirit to be released in the earth. Because as the heart of the Father is turned to the Son and the heart of the Son to the Father, I'm not seeing danger signs going off like, oh no, the Gentiles are all becoming Jews. What I'm seeing is the merging of God keeping a curse from off the earth that when we understand our roots run nowhere close to Rome, like have nothing to do with Rome. Oh God. I'm sorry to tell you that Martin Luther is not the father of my faith. Oh, my, my. Let's look at Romans 11. We're going to work through this chapter a little bit. Romans eleven fifteen. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Somebody shout resurrection. Resurrection. The Apostle Paul is talking about the raising of the dead in connection with Israel as the Jewish people being restored to salvation in their God. When Israel, the root, is restored to Messiah, to Jesus, and we are connected to that root of Israel and our Jewish forefathers, it will be as the raising of the dead for the Gentile church and apostolic ministry. This spirit that's crept into the apostolic movement that wants us to be as non-connected to the Jews as possible, it's like, we want the Jewish Messiah and we want the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, but after that we're done with it. And we're critical of everybody that wants it. God is about to help us to lift this spirit. Folks, I don't know how else to say this as as clear cut as what I'm about to tell you. We are not in competition with the Old Testament. The New Testament is not trying to compete with and replace the Old Testament. I was running some of this by Bishop the other day. We were sitting in the car. I said, Bishop, you know, I, I said, I'm a little bit frustrated. I said, because I, I know when, when the precious Jewish people look at us, they think all, all we want is the New Testament. That's all we want. They, they just, we just want the New Testament. I said, when, when we look at them, we think they won't accept Messiah because uh, all they want is the Old Testament. I said, but what, what sincerely bothers me about this is that we are so disconnected from the Old Testament that we don't know how to preach Jesus from the Old Testament. Woo-wee. 
church family, hear me tonight. If the Old Testament doesn't matter, then we don't need to gripe anymore about these people harping on taking Ten Commandments away from your courthouses. I'm not, I'm not saying to you that Christ did not fulfill the law. I'm not saying to you that, that Jesus Christ did not come to the earth and fulfill the law. Yes, there are things that he fulfilled that me as a Gentile, I don't have to worry about that as, as part of the law. But you can't, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I need God to help us in this place tonight. The power of the last day end time church is going to be when we quit trying to find out how much of the scripture we can do away with. And we start embracing the book as a whole. Listen, you cannot teach one God doctrine without starting in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. And if you don't believe in the beginning God, then the rest of the book don't matter. Just don't matter. So, let me just say it like this. If you're going to do away with the Old Testament, throw the whole book out. Because the New Testament that we read tonight, what those men were teaching as recorded in the New Testament came from the Old Testament. And they settled the issues of the Gentile church and what needed to happen with the circumcision of the heart. Listen, the reason why, and I'm not being arrogant at all. God knows my heart. I'm humble. I'm, I'm standing before you humble tonight. I don't mean this arrogantly. But the reason we buy into false doctrines so easily and so much is because we don't read the book. And somebody can come along and tell us that it's all right for us to do this. And you don't have to do that anymore. And you don't have to believe that anymore. That's old covenant. If you can find me a new covenant that replaces the old covenant, then I'll be a part of that. But you can't do away with the old covenant and say that Abraham's your father. Everybody all right? feels to me that there's an all-out attack in the 21st century Gentile church doing everything possible to disconnect from our Judeo-Biblical Christian roots. I was talking with a pastor the other day. He was asking me about a sermon that I had preached, and so I shared it with him. And I don't remember the full conversation, how it went, so just let me fill in the lines. It was something to the effect of, I told him what I had preached. He said, oh, that's good. Where'd you get that? And I said, from such and such rabbi, he said, like Jewish rabbi? I said, yes. He said, oh, you mean like the Jews that rejected Christ, rabbi? I said, no, actually like the Jews that received him first, rabbi. I said, like the Jew apostles that we have, like the 12 apostles and the apostle Paul, like those Jews, like you didn't have a chance until Acts chapter 10, Jews. Messiah's Jews. 
Holy Ghost fell in Jerusalem the first time. The apostles of the Bible were Jewish men. A flower that's been cut off by its roots, even if you stick it in water. Oh, God, I can't preach this. Even if you put it in water, it dies in about two days. But the power is on the third day. They're not, ready. They're not ready for what I'm about to tell them right now. See, we've been two days disconnected from our roots, 2,000 years. Woo. But the power of the resurrection on the third day is that we get connected to the vine. And the vine, oh God, I feel the Holy Ghost. There is about to be resurrection power released in the earth. When we stop being afraid and ashamed of who we are, the Holy Ghost that I got is the Holy Ghost that fell in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. We're the only movement named after a Jewish feast but don't want to have anything to do with the feast. And if you think I'm trying to turn everybody in this church to a Jew, you've missed it. Oh, Lord, I feel a boldness in the Holy Ghost, but our movement needs this. I want to tell you right now, we're putting out verbal swastikas to people. We don't even realize what we're doing. We wonder why we're not seeing revival in Jerusalem. You know what bothers me? That's where the church started. And we don't even have a good Bible training center there. We don't have a one God church. We don't have nothing in Jerusalem yet. But there's an anointing that's going to come out of this church even. Woo, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. You mark my words in the name of Jesus. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. If the Lord withholds his coming for very much longer upon his return to the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount, there will be apostolic Jesus-named people standing in Jerusalem waiting on him saying, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. They're not going to be at the wall praying for the Messiah to come the first time. They're going to be praying for Messiah to come the second time. The early Gentile church under Constantine cut themselves off from Israel and their Jewish brother because they were afraid. Listen, they weren't just killing Jews. They were killing Jewish lovers. And I'm not talking about intimacy. I'm talking about anybody that loved Jewish people. If you went to church on the synagogue on Saturday, you're out. Somebody said, well, pastor, if the Sabbath's on Saturday, how did the North American church end up meeting on Sunday every week? Well, that's a good question. You ought to look that up. It started because the Gentiles didn't want to get killed. And in a time when we could have stood by our fathers of the faith, we ran off and said, I don't want to be labeled with them if it's going to cost me that much. Mm. We began a spiral of the loss of supernatural power and effectiveness in the church. It would seem normal for believers in ministries that are not reconnecting to Israel and its revival and influencing their followers to pray for and bless Israel. 
prepare for the coming harvest and to do so to also avoid the stagnation of the anointing and blessing and favor of God. Paul foretold this danger as he wrote to the Gentile church headquartered in Rome at that time in 11 of Romans. And let's look at verse 25. He said, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the... Somebody read that for me. Fullness of what? Fullness of the Gentiles. Folks, I'm fixing to talk to you about some end time revival right here, and I'm not sure you're ready. Until the fullness of the Gentile be come in. Let's look at the start of the very next verse, 26. When the Gentile church recognizes who we are, the Jewish community is going to realize what they've missed. Look, we act like we're worlds apart. They are one God people. Folks, listen to me. There's one missing link. The name. But if we don't take a revival of the name, the name, somebody shout the name. name. I'm not talking about the titles of the name. I'm talking about the name. It was that damnable doctrine that separated us in the beginning. And now it's causing division even in the Gentile church. We got goyim that don't want to pay the price because maybe one God sounds too much like separationist. But I'm just, I'm just saying, if they'll cut off Old Testament holiness, they'll cut off New Testament baptism. My papa used to tell me all the time, papa used to tell me all the time, he'd say, son, it's not just about standards. He said, if they quit preaching standards, he said, it'll start with holiness. If they, if they stop preaching that, they'll stop preaching Jesus' name. Am I telling the truth? Because, it, it, listen, it's not a matter of being restricted. It's a matter of being ashamed. We talk about how restricted we are to be apostolic and, man, pastor, people aren't going to pay that price. I don't believe that for one minute. People will pay the price if there's some authority that can go with it. It's probably some kind of reason that Islam is one of the fastest growing religions in the world. Women walking around in burqas and gowns that drag the floor. Oh, man. But we're still trying to figure out what we can get away with. You're sure I have to do that to get to heaven? And then get frustrated when people preach it. You really think that's necessary? I'm going to tell you what I think is necessary. 
I think it's as necessary for me to get as close to this book as I can get. Pastor, it's a, it's a new day. It's the 21st century. Things aren't like they used to be. No, but sin is still sin. Godliness is still godliness. Righteousness is still righteousness. When the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, he said, then shall also Israel be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away What's it say? So it may not be a heaven or hell issue. It may just make me look ungodly. Paul also admonished them as children of the king, the Gentile church. He admonished them to be very careful in verse 18. He said, whatever you do, don't you dare get arrogant. He said, there may have been some branches that got broke off so that you could fit in. That's what he said, read it for yourself. He said, but don't you boast against the branches. He said, if you boast, don't you forget. You're not carrying the root. The root's carrying you. We as the people of the 21st century American church have got to repent of our ways. We talk about holding the name of Jesus up. We hold the name of, we don't hold the name of Jesus up. The name of Jesus holds us up. He said, don't you be arrogant and act like God replaced the Jewish people with you. I wish I had time to read it all to you. Go back through Romans 11 for yourself. He said, some of them branches got knocked off so that you could be put in. He said, but don't you be arrogant acting like it's all about you now. He said, because then you start thinking you're the one holding the root up. It's a spirit of pride. We need that Elijah spirit to bring repentance. And to call pride, pride and arrogance, arrogance. To tell us that, listen, I, I, I thank God for separation. I thank God for it. But we don't have any balance. We act like we got a corner on this. We're like the monopoly on this thing. And we're the only, only, only group I know that godliness becomes selective to whatever, uh, whatever's convenient for us to preach as conviction. Don't you dare watch TV, but I'm going to watch Netflix on my phone. you dare wear a wedding ring, but I'm going to wear a $10,000 Rolex watch. I'm sorry. We got to get balanced and we got to get back to the root. He didn't say be holy because your organization's holy. He didn't say be holy because your pastor is holy. He said be ye holy for I am holy. He said, don't you act like you're carrying the root. 
you need to remember the roots carrying you. Now, I'm going to make a bold statement here, and I really want to get to where I'm going. I've probably already been teaching for too long. But I want to tell you something. This is, this is your pastor. I'm going to step out on this. I'm going to say this, and I believe this. I believe that if we don't pray for and bless Israel as a church, that we will possibly miss out on the last and final global move of God. People want to know why it's important. Why is it important? Is that all you care about? Is that all the politics? Is what? Listen, take politics and throw it out. But if you want to know where I'm going to stand, I'm going to stand by whoever's standing by Israel. Well, what if they don't do anything else? It's righteousness. I'm telling you, I've got my eyes on that hill. I'm watching and I'm looking. I'm watching the clouds. I'll tell you what we're getting into. It's a matter of semantics with some people. We're, we're getting into a season right here. It's not so much about anymore worrying about who's blessing Israel as much as we got people cursing Israel. We just had a we just had an elected official this week. I didn't I didn't see it happen. I read about it after it happened. That said, there's a sense of joy that comes to me. She's a Muslim, and she said, "There's a sense of joy that comes to me when I hear about the Holocaust." Because it was us Palestinians who really suffered during that. Seven million Jews. That, that we know of. I mean, that's, I don't believe that touches the tip of the iceberg. Church family. That is our family. Let's talk about this just a little bit. There's many reasons that we need to pray for and bless Israel. But to name a few, if you want to know why I'm so adamant about praying for Israel daily, you should see my prayer book. I pray for Israel. I pray for their leadership. I don't care if, if uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu would have got reelected or somebody else would have got it. I'm going to pray for Israel and their leadership. And I don't care who our president is, I'm going to pray for them. I've prayed for every president in my lifetime. And I pray that God gives him wisdom. But the reason I pray for Israel and for the Jews is because they were the first to bring the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. I would not be saved if it was not for a Jewish man. Think about that. We owe him a great debt of gratitude. And Romans clearly points out that the Gentiles are to make Israel and the Jews jealous again for their Messiah. So let's, let's look at this end time revival. Why the Gentile church connecting to our roots are so important. In 11 and 11 of Romans. He said, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Listen to this. Oh, God, it sums it up. Because of, because of their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The purpose of the Gentile church is to provoke them to jealousy to see the light of Mashiach. To see Messiah. I, I'm not saying this in a derogatory way. 
the pride of a Jewish man is something to behold. I don't mean that in a negative pride. I'm saying it's incredible. But when we buy into who we are and they begin to see who we are and the power that we have is that that they're looking for in the Messiah and that we have a Messiah and that our Messiah is the Jewish Messiah, they're going to get jealous and say, did that come to us first? It did come to you first, but now we're coming back to you to tell you, welcome home. It's a game to the enemy, but it's life and death to me. I'm going to mess with you right here, okay? We're talking about fathers and sons, right? We're, everybody saw it? Can I give you another scripture that just looked different to me this week after I started reading it in this light? Now, it still means what you think it's, it's meant, but think about this. Deuteronomy 5 and 16. I just want you to go here with me. Just think about it. Why is it important to pray for him? Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, that it may be well with thee, in the land which the Lord God giveth thee. What about, what about if we buy in to the Jewish father of our faith, Abraham, and our mother church in Jerusalem? And we honor our father and our mother. Would it not be something for us to honor them by disconnecting ourselves from a Roman way? Anything that has to do with that, anything of this present world, and say the reason why I'm doing this, that I live the way I live, that I love God the way I love God, is because I want to honor my father and my mother. It's just a thought. You know what God promises? As we pray for our father, the spirit of Elijah is going to be unleashed. You know what the spirit of Elijah is? It's a resurrecting prophet. You know what day we're going into? We're going into the third day. Do you know what? Oh, Lord Jesus. Do you know what day Jesus was resurrected? On the third day. Do you, do you know when the church is going to be fully resurrected into the power that he wants us to be in the third day? When's the third day going to happen? You may be looking at it as a timetable. I'm saying it's not so much a timetable as it is a recognition. When we realize who we are and let that Elijah spirit unleash in us and turn our hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the father, we're going to see resurrection in the body of Christ. Oh, I'm, I'm hurrying. I'm I'm hurrying. What, what time is it? All right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you out of here on time. Have I ran off and left anybody? Is everybody okay? Are you bored? You want me to quit? Elijah's a double portion prophet. He believes in pouring into his son in the gospel. That's me. Listen to me, church family. I've noticed something important about those who walk with the greatest mantles in their life. The most anointed people I have ever met in my life honor Israel. (laughs) 
should I say it this way too? God forgive me if I'm being ugly. I'm not trying to be. I've also seen people that had no power and found out why later. They were preterists. Believed that it all already happened and that God wasn't going to reconcile the Jewish people to himself again. We've got to be careful what we buy into. We honor them and God promises us that something special was going to happen. But I, I want to I close out by talking to you what I believe this Malachi 4, 5, 6. I believe it's a key that unlocks a door to worldwide global harvest in the end time. Okay? Can, can I just take a few minutes? I should have done this in a three-week series. I understand that. But I, I, I got to get. Paul himself is a descendant of the Hebrew people. Everybody agrees with that? Tribe of Benjamin, it's in right there in Romans 11, we read it, of the tribe of Benjamin. Probably one of the most learned in the, the Hebrew scripture, because he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. We've re, everybody, you're with me on that. But he was able to take that knowledge of the Hebrew scripture and that revelation and bring it to new covenant people, to Goyim, to Gentiles. He was known as the apostle to the Gentile, but it broke his heart because he wanted to be an apostle to the Jews. Read it for yourself. We're going to read it together in just a minute. But he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was a master harvester. He won more souls in stadium-style meetings planted more churches and discipled more people and had more sons in the faith than anybody else we read about in the Scripture in the New Testament church. He's the most read apostle to this present day. He brought a holy revolution to both the church and to the Roman Empire. He moved in unusual signs, wonders, and miracles and was not moved by the things of this world. He walked in resurrection power. Paul had faith and ability to present the gospel even to the ruling powers of his day and converting the ruler of Cyprus and almost converting the governor named Felix while still in chains. Are are, are you still with me right here? And he never stopped until he got to Rome to speak to the head of the Roman Empire It's the most dangerous seat to be sitting in in all the then known world to stand in Rome before the Roman emperor and say to him, I believe in the one true living God. Why in the world was Paul so foolish? Why was he so stupid? Why was he so dumb to go to the Gentiles in Rome and preach them? Listen, here comes, oh God. I feel like the Lord's helped me with this. Here comes Revelation, Romans 11 and 13. He said, I speak to the Gentiles. And as much as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, and I magnify my office. What? I didn't get it either. Until this started clicking in my head. He said, I'm preaching you Gentiles. Magnifying my ministry. I was like, well, that kind of sounds like arrogance. And I felt the Holy Ghost say, keep reading. Look at verse 14. He said, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to emulation or to jealousy. Does that word sound familiar? We just read it. 
them which are my flesh. Who is that? The Jews. And might save some of them. He said the reason I'm standing in Rome and I'm preaching this gospel to the Roman Empire is because the more Gentiles I get saved, the faster my people are going to hear. He said, I'm going to preach to the Gentiles and let God magnify my ministry because revival started in Jerusalem and it's going to end in Jerusalem. The key to global revival is to win the Gentiles. I just hear the hate mail coming right now. Listen. The gospel always goes to the Jew first. We read it. The Jew first sent to the Greek. But Paul said, if there's any way possible that I can make them jealous through this Gentile church, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make them jealous. What he did when he took the gospel to the Gentile church literally shocked. Read the Bible. It sent a shockwave through the Jewish church. They said, what in the world is wrong with them? Paul said, it goes all the way back to Genesis. He said, it's a Genesis principle. If I can get the Gentiles to start blessing the Jews... God, you said, I will bless them that bless you. And I will curse them that curse you. He said the fastest way for us to get revival back to Jerusalem is to get the Gentile to start blessing the Jew. So this is not about who I vote for. This is about revival. If the Gentile church don't start blessing the Jew... I understand. Hmm. Great commissions twofold. Bible talks about going into all the world and preaching the gospel, and then the end will come. So the North American church thinks if we target every Gentile nation, then the Lord's going to come back because we've got to get in every corner of the world. I wish I had time to break this down. I I really wish I did. But I want to tell you, it's, it's been a slow process, and it's just about killed us. But I want to tell you all something. I, I, I promise you, I've never felt like this at all scriptures until I saw it in this light. I've had some time to study the last few days. If we preach the gospel in every single nation of the world, Pastor, but it don't get to Jerusalem, the Lord still can't come. What? No, listen to me. In the book of Luke 13, verse number 35. Y'all, I'm telling you, this is, this is messing with me. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you. Who's he talking to? Israel. Okay? Let me just fast forward. He says, Israel, your house is left unto you desolate, and I say unto you. You shall not see me. Who shall not see me? Israel. You shall not see me until the time come when you shall say. Blessed is he that cometh 
<laughs> he's talking to the people of Israel in Jerusalem. And he says to them, until you can look at me and say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, I can't come. So how are we going to do this? I'll tell you how we're going to do it. The Bible clearly says in Romans 1.16, the, the gospel's to the Jew first. But he is not saying that the gospel will come to the Jew first and then later in history it's going to be completely replaced to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are going to, no, 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 no. This is not replacement theology. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Do I got any book of Acts people in here tonight? I'm, listen, I haven't left the book yet. Ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Watch this. It's end time revival. We read it all the time and we miss it. It's exactly what I'm preaching you tonight. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea. And to the Samaritan Gentile and to the uttermost part. It came first to Jerusalem. From Jerusalem to the end of the earth. He said, start in Jerusalem and work your way out. Paul said in Romans 10 that my desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He said, for I bear them to witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He goes on to explain, he knows that they're trying to achieve righteousness by their own works. And that he would know because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In chapter 9, he said, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. 9, 1 through 3. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. He's weeping before God, and he's weeping for the Jewish people, as Jesus did. And he's doing his best to reach the Jewish people. But God confirms to him that the way this message is going to get back to his brothers is when he sells himself out to the idea that you're going to reach a Gentile church that doesn't understand the power of what's going on right now. But the key that's going to unlock the door and I'm closing with this tonight for the sake of time but he was telling Paul the key that's going to unlock the door is when the Gentile church the sons start blessing when the son starts blessing the father and the father starts blessing the son and the prophetic voice is released in the earth then shall the coming of the son of man be Let's stand together. I've got to hurry. Listen, here was Paul's thinking. Get as many Gentiles as I can. Because if I can get enough of them, the Jews are going to get jealous. And when the Jews get jealous, it's on like Donkey Kong. Church family, you listen to me. And I mean this sincerely. I'm, I'm telling you, I mean it sincerely. We live in an age where men that call themselves Christians are standing in their pulpits and proclaiming that God is bringing us together with Islam, and they're calling it Chrislam. You hear me? I'm telling you the truth. The Catholic Church has crawled in bed with, uh, with Islam. It's apostate. It's heresy. 
That's why I'm not associated with that. Ishmael is not my father. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you've got a calling on your life today, ma'am, sir. We've got to evangelize, plant, give to missions, go to missions, do whatever we've got to do to get Jerusalem jealous for their Messiah. Listen, this is how it's going to happen. It's real simple. We're, we're all trying to figure out how this is going to happen. Here's the way it is. They're there right now. It's Well, they're in bed. But somebody may be there. Look at the camera and see. They've been praying all day, come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah. Listen, here's how this whole jealousy thing is going to work. There's going to be a revelation released in the earth, and they're going to say, oh, he already came, and we missed it. Let's get on. The greatest revelation, the shift in the atmosphere of the world. I'm talking about there will be a shift that you will literally feel, if not the sound of the trumpet. When the revelation is released in Jerusalem, that Messiah is not coming for the first time. He's coming back again. And the only people that are going to carry that message are the blood-bought children of God who have been called by His name and filled with His Spirit. End-time revival is directly linked to the spirit of Elijah being released in the earth and fathers blessing the son and the sons blessing their father. If anybody's curious tonight where this local assembly stands, we stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. You don't have a clue how hard it was to get you out of here at 8.30. Can I let you in on one of my secrets? My life was forever changed when I went with Brother Lang. And I didn't even share this with anybody on the trip. But I have a feeling that there's at least two men on this front row that can testify to what I'm saying tonight because they were both on that trip. Brother Lang goes back every three weeks. (laughs) I was very, very, and please don't think I'm being disrespectful. But when I walked into Jerusalem and saw the, the wailing wall, the western wall, for the first time, I was very underwhelmed. Because I was like, it kind of looks bigger in pictures, you know? It, I mean, it does. I'm not being rude. And so I put on my little kippah that they want you to put on. I finally bought one because the white flimsy one just wasn't getting it. And I, I put on my kippah, and I went down there and prayed. And I didn't feel anything yet. And when I reached out and put my hands on the wall, and I began to pray, it felt like Sunday night in Anderson. (laughs) And the Lord spoke to me right then, and he said, you've had to travel all the way across the globe 
to realize that my glory that rest and resided in this temple of old is resting in you. Folks, when the sky grew dark and that bell was rent in twain, there was no Ark of the Covenant in there. Because the mercy seat and the glory of God had left that room. It had been walking among them for 33 and a half years. And he said, I'm coming back to fill you up. The glory of God. Woo! The glory of God that was behind the veil is behind the veil of my flesh. And I want the world to know you need the Holy Ghost. If God will help us, if God will help us, I'm going to be in Israel and see people by the hundreds pray through to the Holy Ghost. But I know you're standing, I'm, I'm done, but I got to share this because it, it goes with it. I, I just got to share this. But I want to show you how God showed me, and I didn't realize what he was showing me, Acts 1 and 8 and all this that I preached you tonight. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was crazy. We went into the upper room. And I, I, all I, didn't, I didn't have my Bible, I just had my phone. And I opened up the book of Acts on my phone and handed it to my dad. And I said, read, Bishop. It was on Acts 2. And my dad said, okay. And you, we walked. We were, I'm serious. We were stepping through the door. And I, I ducked. Bishop Bingham, you've been there. And I kind of ducked down. And I, I walked in to go in the upper room. And my dad was standing right behind me. He said, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. And I'm telling you right now, I felt angels. Woo, man, I feel it right now. I felt the power of the Holy Ghost. And we stepped into that upper room. And I, I promise you, we were trying to be civil. It was packed out. There were people everywhere. And the Holy Ghost started falling. And I opened my eyes looking through tears. Tears were falling off my face. And our entire group was standing there with their hands raised, speaking in other tongues. And I opened my eyes. I know you're not supposed to look when you pray, but I, I was like, i got to soak in the moment. And I opened my eyes again, and this little Chinese girl had left her tour group and came over to our group and was standing there crying. She raised her hands and started speaking in other tongues. And when when we went to walk out, she told us, she said, I have received the Holy Spirit. Right there in Jerusalem, it went to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. When we as the body of Christ begin to bless our roots, we're going to see the coming of the Lord. Let's reach our hands towards heaven. Holy Ghost. God, give us wisdom on how to move and flow in the end time church. Give us wisdom on how to go in missions. Give us wisdom on how to give in missions. In the name of Jesus. We got to reach the whole world that Jerusalem will be jealous. I'm gonna tell you this much. When I was a boy, I used to say all the time, Brother Hensel, I'd say, 
Man, I wish I could have met Peter, James, John. I wish I could have met them. But I'm going to tell you why I'm glad to be right here where I am right now. Because Peter, James, and John were the generation that told him goodbye. I'm going to be the generation that tells him hello. Welcome back. How many of you want to go? Praise God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the precepts and principles. Line upon line and precept upon precept, Father. Every jot and tittle will be fulfilled. And we thank you for it tonight. I thank you for your glorious church that you purchased with your own blood. And through the power of your name and the power of your spirit, we will see global harvest like we've never seen. Father, we've got more purpose today than we've ever had. And we will see Jerusalem brought to its knees in repentance. And the Messiah will be revealed in Jesus' name. We're going to see it and we're going to rule and reign with you for a thousand years upon the earth. And I cannot wait. I love you, Jesus. Would you clap unto the Lord and give him praise with all your heart? I'm sorry. It's late. The sun has set and come back up, and we're still in church. Praise God. I love you. See you at prayer meeting tomorrow night, 7 o'clock.